All right. By the way, you guys realize today, this is, this is awesome. This is really special. You may want to write this down. Today, as you know, is Labor Day weekend. And today, because you're here in church, you get bonus points. Bonus points. I always want bonus points. So congratulations to all of us here. I love the city of Houston. I really do. We live in a fantastic city. It's the most underrated big city in the United States. Don't tell anybody, okay? We're the fourth largest city in the U.S. We have a phenomenal med center, right? I mean, incredible med center. Listen, we have a great rocket ship center called NASA. Yes, we do. Um, we have great food here. We have great shopping here. We have great opportunities here in companies and jobs, great teachers, great cops, firemen, you name it. We have a great city in Houston. And when something goes down, there's a problem. Man, we just kind of drop all our differences and roll up our sleeves and get busy with it, get busy helping each other. So I love Houston. It is the friendliest big city in the world. It really is. We're the friendliest big city in the world, and uh, it's just amazing. And people have come here from all over the world to live and settle and to make a life and hopefully to chase their dreams right here in Houston. I love our city. I love almost every single aspect of our city except driving on our freeways. I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens to us, but when we get on the freeway, it is dog eek dog. Every man, every woman for themselves. People will not let you in. I mean, here we have these nice exit lanes, you know, or entrance ramps, unlike Dallas. Good luck with that. Or Austin, who has traffic lights in the middle of their freeways. We have these, we have these nice, friendly entrance ramps, right? But still, if there's a little bit of traffic, no one's going to let you in. It's crazy. And listen, don't, don't be doing something stupid if you just moved to Houston in traffic, yelling at people or telling them who's number one or something like that. Don't do that. This is Texas. People carry guns, okay? It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. So one of the things I like to do is when I'm in, in traffic and stuff and things are tough on the road, I like to yell encouraging questions to the people that are in the car surrounding me, okay? And uh, two of the most popular questions that I like to yell out loud, I've not received an answer yet, but one of them is when something happens that I don't like when I'm driving, I'll say, what are you doing? Like, just absolutely incredulous. What are you doing? Just this past week, I was driving I-10 East, and there was a car in front of me going about 40 miles an hour on the freeway. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? So I got in the next lane and passed, passed her, okay? And what do you think she was doing on the freeway? Texting. She was texting. So I like to yell sometimes, what are you doing? Now most of the times I know they're texting, right? That's what's happening. Don't text and drive. Another thing I like to yell out, done it for years, I don't know why, it's a question as well, and that is, what is your problem? It's another one. 
Someone pulls out in front of me for no reason. They cut me off. They won't let me on the highway. I'm like, what is your problem? What is your problem? And, you know, chances are they have a problem. Now, one of their problems I would surmise is that they don't know how to drive, okay? Or they're not driving friendly. Now, they probably think the same thing about me. That's a whole nother message. But what's your problem? They probably have a problem, you know, right? They're driving around the city. Maybe they're, they're late or something's happened right now. And man, they're going through something in their life. They have a problem. Just like all of us here, when we gather on, here on the weekend, even Labor Day weekend with bonus points, we all come here with problems. We all have problems. We have problems at home problems with our family, problems, financial problems, problems at work, problems, of course, in our different relationships. We all have problems. And sometimes we get tired of problems. I just, I don't even, I don't want any more problems. I don't want any more challenges. I have too many problems right now to deal with. I was talking to someone about this a while back. And they said, Ben, I know of a place you can go in Houston where there are around 5,000 people that have zero problems. I said, where is that? Take me to there. And they said, Forest Lawn Cemetery. Okay? All those folks are, and, and it was a good valid point, wasn't it? To be alive, to be engaged in what's going on is to be facing problems dealing with problems, trying to overcome problems, trying to find solutions to problems. So today's message, if you would, is a problem solution kind of message. And the problem I'm gonna to talk to us about here today is a problem I think that runs deep inside of us. It's a problem many times that's fueled by a sense of fear. And this fear leads us to a sense of emptiness and loneliness and restlessness. Problem, solution. Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is gonna diagnose the problem for us and our good friend John is gonna give us the solution later on. Jeremiah chapter number two, verse 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, look straight ahead on the slides and it'll be there for you to read along. Jeremiah 2, verse 13 following, talks about this deep problem. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Scroll down to verse 25. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, 
It's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. That's our problem. We're just like the people in Israel. We're just like the folks in the Old Testament. Many times we forsake God, we forsake God, and we dig wells, cisterns, containers that simply can't hold water. The problem is that you're running to the wrong well. You're running to the wrong well in a futile attempt to quench your thirst. Read a story many years ago about a couple named Pat and Monica, and Pat was the husband, and he didn't really follow God, didn't believe in God. His wife, Monica, was a very, very devout Christian, and they had a son, interesting name, called Aurelius. And Aurelius, um, though he was raised, you know, by his mom and dad, his mom tried to take him to church, his mom tried to teach him about God, but Aurelius had other ideas for his life. He was a very bright guy. Uh, he was a uh, very charismatic, very intellectual. People were drawn to him. He went off to school to study. He had plenty of money. Then he found his way to Milan, Italy, and he was really on his way to being successful in what you know the world deems success. But his mom, Monica, was praying for her son, please come to God. Please stop trying to find satisfaction in these wrong wells. Because her son started dating someone, and then he invited her to live with him. And they lived together for nine years. They eventually had a kid out of wedlock and didn't know what to do. And this godly mother, Monica, kept praying for her son to wake up and to stop chasing after pleasure, stop chasing the dollar to try to find satisfaction for his soul. Aurelius was just another example of someone seeking to find rest, seeking to find peace, seeking to find meaning, but it ended up in a place of restlessness, emptiness, and ultimately loneliness. I think it was Blaise Pascal, one of the most brilliant scientists that ever lived, who also was a philosopher. And Pascal said, we have this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. Really, he said something similar to that. And that we're looking to have that vacuum filled. We're looking to find satisfaction. We're looking to find something to quench our thirst other than God. And when we do that, we're simply chasing after the wind. Or to use our biblical metaphor today, we're simply trying to drink water from wells that simply can't hold the water, that can't satisfy. So we go on a quest. Man, maybe we can find that satisfaction in romantic love. 
So we go on a quest. Maybe I can find that satisfaction in marriage. We go on a quest. Maybe if we just have kids and we try to do all these things in the relationship world as human beings to fill this void and to stop this restlessness. But the whole time, we're trying to drink water from a well that simply will not satisfy us because we're created for something more, something deeper. You can do everything right. You can have a very successful life. You can knock it out of the park. You can find the person of your dreams. You can live in the right neighborhood and have the right car and go on spectacular vacations and send your school kids to the best schools in the country. But if you are missing, missing this deeper purpose, this deeper love that only God can fill for you, then you will always, always be searching and end in a place of emptiness and restlessness. Jeremiah diagnoses our problem. We we run to the wrong wells to be satisfied. Even some wells that are good, but ultimately they can't satisfy the longing of our hearts. So let's turn to John for the solution. Look at John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. 1 John is toward the very back of your Bible. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. And he lays out the solution. Here's what he says. He says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he, God, first loved us. Look at verse 16. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. The solution to my problem and your problem, to your thirst and my thirst, is to drink from the deep well of God's love for you. If we want our other relationships to have meaning, if we want our marriage, our families, our friendships, if we want all of our other relationships to have meaning, we have to first drink from the deep well of God's love for us. Think about the 
the Samaritan woman who was just jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage, and she was just seeking to have that void in her heart filled by another man, another guy. And she was still empty until she perchance met Jesus Christ that day by that well. And Jesus said, hey, listen, I can give you living water. Not just this physical water, this H2O that you're gonna drink and get thirsty again. I can give you living water that will change your life forever. And then she said this, look at the quote. She said, give me this water. Give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's like, I want this living water. I want this water that's going to quench this desire that's deep in my heart. And so Jesus talked to her. Jesus shared with her. And she went back into her town and she told everybody, she goes, you won't believe who I met. I think I've met the one. I've met the Messiah who's told me everything about my life. And of course, he's the one that gave her this living water. She began to wake up to what 1 John called that first love, that God first loved her and loved us. God, he loves me and he loves you in a way that we never dreamed possible. God loves us, as we say here in Texas, warts and all. God loves us in the middle of our shame and guilt and restlessness. Before we came on the scene, God had his eye on you, his eye on us. God loves you. God has pursued you and will continue to pursue you with his powerful, undeniable, relentless love. And that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that not only is there a God, that this God who is beyond, in a sense, our comprehension, this God who is beyond us in power, this God who is beyond us in purity, This God who is utterly transcendent and holy, yes, that is true. But the gospel is that this God loved us so much that he enters into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. He lives a perfect life and he dies a sacrificial death on the cross and rises again to take away our fear of death so that we might know his up close and personal love. I sure wish I knew what God looked like. I sure wish he had a face. 
God is the face of Jesus. Jesus is the face of God. How much does he love us? He stretches out his hands to us on the cross, right? To cover our shame, to cover our guilt, to forgive us if we only come to him and humility and ask him. It's not that we love God. It's that God first loved us. God first loved us. And I've discovered it's not just a, it's not just a one-time deal, you know. God loves us and then, boy, we better get in on that or not. No, God continually pursues us with his love because that's who he is. God's love is it's powerful. It's powerful. It's greater than our stupidity and sins. God's love covers a multitude of sins. God's love is powerful. Nothing, no thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. God's love is lavish. It's lavish. Look how great a love that God has lavished upon us, sin, sick sinners, people who don't get it. He's lavished his love on us by forgiving us, welcoming us into his family, and placing his spirit inside of us. Broken people, guilty people. People who have run to the wrong well time and time again. God's love hunts us down. God's love pursues us. It's lavish. God's love is tenacious. God's love is also transformative. He loves us too much to allow us to live and to stay in the same old muck and mire. He wants to bring us out. He wants to change our lives. He wants to find us, he wants us to find a different way to live our life. He has a different plan for us, a different purpose for us, a different way to live. His love, God's love is transformative. You can clap for that. And we know, because we've all been to weddings before, God's love never fails. God's love is the greatest. It's the greatest, right? Everything's gonna fade away. Everything's gonna fade away. Nothing is gonna last in this world. Nothing will last except the everlasting, enduring, powerful, infinite love of God in Christ. His love lasts forever. And listen, I'm not, you say, well, I wish I understood that like you understand it, Pastor. I don't understand that much. I promise you I don't. But the little bit I understand, just a little bit, it's utterly transformative. Sometimes just a little bit of Bitcoin sold at the right, right time can be transformative. That's going to fade away. God's love doesn't. And he wants us to experience and to drink from the deep well of his love. Listen, we can't live without water. 
And we can't live without the love of God. We can't live without his love. We can't. We can't. So, a couple of practical things here. Let's, let's uh, drill down. This passage says, we love because he first loved us. So what do we need to do? First of all, some of us here, a lot of us here, we need to return to this first love. Just say, God, I, I have been you know, chasing these other loves. I've been chasing these foreign gods. I've been looking for life. I've been looking for meaning here. And I am returning to you as the first love and the true lover of my soul. And I want to understand and to live out and to live from your deep love for me. We need to return to this first love. Also, what do we need to do? We need to rely, rely on this first love. That's what verse 16 says. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. That means we return to God's love if we can every single day. It's not just when we're in church. It's not just at 11-11 when our band is singing us about uh, leading us in these wonderful songs about grace and love. But I'm trying day by day before I go to school, before I go to work, when I take a break, to remember that God deeply and truly loves me. I want to learn how to rely on his love. And also I need to learn, and I think we all need to learn, how to rest in this first love. Just rest. Rest in this first love. There's nothing we can do to earn his love for us. There's nothing we can do to change our past. There's nothing we can do to get rid of the guilt and shame. There's nothing that, that we can do, nothing. But Christ has done it all for us. Christ says, it's finished. The bridge from God to man is finished. His love covers us. I'm just gonna rest, rest in his love. I can't earn it, I don't deserve it. It's beyond my mind and my thoughts. I'm gonna rest in it. I'm gonna rest in God's love for me in Christ. Yeah, I'm just gonna rest. Praying doesn't improve my lot with God. Reading the Bible doesn't improve my lot with God. Living a righteous life that God calls us to do all these things, it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make God love me more. God loves me perfectly in Christ. In Christ. And I can rest, rest in his love. But you don't know what I've done you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Yes, I do. He does. Look what he's done. Look at the cross. Look at what he did. It's finished. You're forgiven. 
You're covered. It's the love of God. And it's this first love, this first love that quenches our thirst. Quenches our thirst. You know, that, that couple that had that son, Aurelius, Monica, was praying for her son, remember, to, to wake up, to stop living with this lady. And now what were they going to do with the child? She was praying, oh, God, just wake this man up. Wake up my son. Bring him to you. And at the age of 31, finally, Aurelius heard this voice that said, take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. And he opened the Bible to Romans chapter number 13 and he read it and he read about the love of God and how he could lead, leave this life of emptiness. And so Aurelius left this life. He gave his heart and his life to God in Jesus Christ as a 31-year-old man. And he went on to become the most influential Christians in the entire history of the church. You know his other name, Augustine. And he wrote this in the opening chapters of his autobiography, The Confessions. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 